the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Mind your language, Frank. Frank Lampard has opted to go for the Mike Bassett England manager approach this weekend as he looks to turn Everton's season right around in the coming weeks with the Toffees continuing their ongoing battle against Premier League relegation. Lampard chose to publicly call out his struggling players following FA Cup defeat to Crystal Palace this weekend. It's a bold choice, Kent, but we're going to see if it works and he needs to get Everton out of this mess. But... Is it the right decision to make? We'll be looking at Lampard's gamble in part one of today's podcast as Everton aim to stay in the Premier League. Don't forget, the Blues have never been relegated from the Premier League, but things are in crisis mode at Goodison Park this season. Then in part two, we'll be delving into the latest fan news ahead of the FA Cup semi-finals this month. It's good news if you're a Chelsea fan, which is timely considering the amount of bad news they've had recently. But if you're a Manchester City or Liverpool supporter planning on going to the capital, well, I hope you've booked your megabus because there are no trains to London that weekend. And then to wrap it all up, we're going to check in on some transfer rumours floating about during the international break. Old Trafford is expected to be a busy, busy place this summer with ins and outs as United look to rebuild. Right, we're going to get kicked off on today's podcast. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me, we have two guys hoping to avoid the Jim Lampard Salverson hairdryer before the end of the season. Marley Anderson, keeping on the right side of things. Yeah, he's he's a tame tame little pussy cat, really. Yeah, you just got to uh, you just got to fight fire with fire when it comes to Jim, and just uh, just taking one of it, like uh, like the Everton squad have been taking on absolutely nobody lately and getting anything. I mean, we're living in a world where Frank Lampard is swearing in national TV interviews, so I wouldn't rule anything <laughs> out. Um, Joel, do you think the hairdryer is powering up? Are you feeling it on your on your skin? Uh, well, I got called into the boardroom yesterday via email when he was next door, um, so I don't think he's got the energy for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, well, I think it's fair to say Jim is not going to be acting like Frank Lampard, and to be honest, I would advise most managers of any business, organisation or football club to probably not take the Frank Lampard method uh, in the next few weeks so Marley the situation at Everton is a mess I think it's fair to say that no Everton fan listening would, would probably disagree with that they're in big trouble in terms of trying to battle away out of the relegation zone and obviously knocked out of the FA Cup over the weekend and Lampard lost his head there's, there's not really much of a different way to put it in his post-match press conference after the Palace game 4-0 defeat and he's publicly called out his squad in in his post-game press conference. He's claimed the mentality just isn't good enough. Um, from a basic level, he said there's so many issues all the way from the ground up. And it's, it's pretty straight talking. I'm just going to read you a few of the quotes. He said, there's only so much that you can do in terms of buttering someone up to give them the confidence they need. We're at the cut end we're at the cutthroat end of football here. This is a cup semi-final to get to Wembley. And if you haven't got the confidence to play, you can quickly flip that round and just say, have you got the b- to play for Everton? And he's apologised for his bad language and he said, but this is the football reality. If you fall somewhere in the middle, then you don't have the mentality to play for a Premier League team. This is This is pretty straightforward and pretty focused. And on the one hand... This has been a tried and trusted method in the past in the Premier League. Mike Bassett, Ray Winston, Sam Allardyce, this is the road they go down. 
does it still work in 2022? You look at the other managers in and around them in the table, Thomas Frank, Dean Smith, Roy Hodgson, definitely can't see him doing this. Even someone like Sean Dice, who's maybe unfairly got a reputation as a bit of a shouter, wouldn't do this on national television when his players' confidence are destroyed after just losing 4-0. This is a gamble from Lampard. Is it the right move to make? It's it's definitely a gamble. Um, you know, there's there's sort of it's commonly said that there's like two ways to motivate someone, and you can either put your arm around them or you can put a rocket up the backside and and see which one they respond to because everyone's different. And when you've got a squad of twenty five players, you know, twelve might want and want told they're you know the best player in the in the country in their position, and the other thirteen might want uh, might know you're trying to blow smoke up the backsides with with that kind of uh, motivational technique and, and they want to be told you're not good enough you need to you need to get better um, as long as it's in a constructive way and I think that that is what Lampard's trying to do but you know as, as you said in the intro there you know it's like uh, it's like dodgeball when he says it's a bold strategy cotton it, we'll see how it plays out because <laughs> it could just it could just put a massive bomb in in their entire entire sort of season um, and when you're teetering on the verge of, of the bottom three I think they're only out of it on goal difference um, above Burnley so that's a it's a huge gamble um, and it, it did surprise me because obviously Frank Lampard's a quite a well-spoken uh, softly like sort of softly softly manager type of thing and you're used to hearing him say like the what's become known as Lampardisms where he goes you know, yeah. like, yeah, we were rubbish. No, but seriously, you know, we've we've got to get better or something like that. <laughs> and I don't know whether he's just trying to to iron that out a bit and say, you know what, I can be a bit of a hard man and 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 hard to impress. But I think when when confidence is so low, and then you're saying, you know, they haven't got the stones to play for for Everton and to be top players, that's that's a huge strategy because a huge sort of gamble because the only way. You can find out whether they respond to that is is by, you know, dropping the bomb and then and then in the next few weeks you see whether they respond or not because that's that's the challenge in front of them now. But in terms of what he's done as manager, he's came in. He knew he knew Everton were in crisis, otherwise he wouldn't have got the job. So it can't have come. I feel like it has come as a surprise to him how bad Everton are. But also, you know, he, he spent how long? selecting a job um, turned down Crystal Palace because yeah. he wasn't quite sure he could do he basically didn't think the ceiling was high enough and then he, he stumbled across the Everton one um, got kind of lucky that Lampard um, sorry Benitez was was shipped out pretty quickly um, and he's gone in there I think with a bit of an ego and said yep you know new manager bounce we'll be fine I'll save him and then we'll go again next season um, but he hasn't re- he hasn't realised how big the job is at, at Everton, and he's kind of played on, you know, I'm an England legend, you know, they'll all react to me type of thing, um, and it just hasn't quite happened yet. They were lucky to beat Newcastle last week, um, and that's the only reason they're out of the relegation zone right now, and it could get worse before it gets better. Looking at the picture for Everton in the Premier League, Joel, as Marley says, Newcastle beat, uh, the win against Newcastle last week, that's just the sev- uh, second Premier League win that he's picked up since he's come in. Ten games down the line. He has done relatively well in the FA Cup prior to last weekend, got them to the quarter-final. They're now out. But the picture is is pretty ugly in terms of whether they can turn this around and whether they can keep up that status as having never been relegated from the Premier League. This seems like a little bit of a desperate move, a little bit of a last roll of the dice, last page of the playbook. And I look at this and I think, you've not even been in this job for two months 
and it looks as if you've gone through every strategy and every idea you've got because for me on the face of it if you're publicly calling out players in a fairly aggressive way that means that you've run out of ideas and this is your last play your last thing of right if this works great if it doesn't work then I'm all out of ideas like I've got nowhere to go from here and I look at this Everton team and the players that are in it and, and people, particularly someone like Michael Keane or Mason Holgate, Andre Gomez, even Richarlison, they don't seem to be the type of players that react to this. Michael Keane is the living embodiment of a confidence player and his confidence is destroyed now. And all of these players will have seen these clips on social media or, or they will have been passed to them or whatever. They've heard what their manager has to say about them. A lot of them are going to be going away on in international duty this week. I don't think, given the mentality of a lot of the Everton players, this is going to have the desired effect. They're not going to go away in the next week to 10 days and think, right, he's fired me up now. I'm going to come back and we're going to turn this round. I think they're going to go away and think, well, this is what the manager believes we are. Maybe that's what we are. Yeah, I think it was the shortest new manager bounce I think I've seen in, in the whole of existence of new manager bounces. I think what did it last for one game? And that I've was seen the glass Cup. balls bounce more. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a good analogy this. for that. Literally, it, there was no bounce because they ended up getting dumped out of the FA Cup in the next round. Um, I think we shouldn't forget as well that this is Lampard's first kind of rodeo when it comes to this kind of situation because in his last two jobs. He's had to try and keep Chelsea, you know, challenging for the title or top four. I feel like there's a little less pressure in terms of, you know, if you don't do the job, you're going to get sacked regardless at Chelsea. Every manager knows what's going to happen there. And to be fair, he started off pretty well and he made some really good signings, which ended up contributing to that Champions League win. And then obviously a derby is a different kind of pressure as well when you're trying to get promotion from the championship and there's very, very little pressure. Um, he was just a new manager, basically trying to make a name for himself in the managerial side. But when you've got to try and keep a team like Everton, who are so historic in the Premier League, I don't think they've ever been relegated from the first division, if, 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 if no. I'm not right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a different kind of pressure in itself because... Considering they've never been down and he's never been in this situation before of trying to keep a team in the Premier League, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he's having these kind of outbursts now because it's a very different situation to anything he's been in. But in some regards, I do think that he has his he has himself to blame because in January, instead of trying to shore up that defence, which looks very very fragile, especially on the back of uh, losing Luca Dean to Aston Villa. He ended up going out and buying Deli Alley and getting Donny van der Beek on loan. I, Deli Alley's not put in a good season for about three or four years now. And I don't think it's really the time that he should have been starting to experiment and trying to revive a player who clearly is on the cusp of even never getting back to that level or might take a few years to get back to that level. And obviously Donny van der Beek, the jury's still out on him. Um, obviously United, he, he didn't really show much of that Ajax form. So... You know, I, I think it, that was the chance where he could have shored up the defence a little bit and made them a little bit solid from the back. And then when you look at how I think when you look at, you know, for example, Thierry Henry, Diego Maradona, all these top players, I think they always end up struggling in management more often than not just because they're so used to high standards and they've been basically doing it for what, well, Lampard did it for, what, 20 years. And then when he sees these kind of group of players where he can't seem to communicate what it takes to be a top Premier League team and being constantly 
competitive. I think it's just so hard for them to compute why they're not doing what he used to do to that level. That it is that it is signs of desperation and kind of frustration that they're just not they're not as what he was as a professional. And I think that kind of frustrates them. And I think that's why a lot of top players just very very rarely become top managers. Um, so yeah, like you say, he's trying to push out every trick in the book at the moment um, and he's not he's not got experience in this kind of field and maybe Everton should have gone for a guy who knows what exactly it takes to keep a, a Premier League um, survive the Premier League drop because it's a very different field from just you know if he joined Crystal Palace or if he joined Southampton in the mid table pressure's off now he's got to keep one of the most historic Premier League sides in the league and it's a, it's a, that's a pressure in itself Marley, is this the right call? Lampard's set his stall out now. This is the way that he's going to go between now and the end of the season. They've got 13 games. They do still have a couple of games in hand on the majority of the teams that are down in the in the drop zone. He can't flip this back round in a couple of weeks and be all nicey-nicey. He's now demonstrated that he wants to go with this hardline approach. He's going to call the players out if they're underperforming. He's going to just scream and shout and rally and rouse. Is it the right way to go? Uh, it has to be, to be honest, because he's uh, he's played that card now. Well, they're yeah, gone. Yeah, it has to be. You know, he's he's nailed his colours to the mast. Um, so that's it. You know, you've 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 took that gamble now. You can't go back, as as uh, as we've said before. You know, it's uh, it has to work, and it has to work quickly. And Everton are more than good enough to stay up. They're by far the best squad in that bottom four or five. Um, but they're playing like strangers. They're playing like they've never met each other before, and you know something needs to click from somewhere. Whether that's being called, um, you know, being called out in public, or whether it's Duncan Ferguson pinning every single one of them up against a, a fence and kicking the out of them, you know, you don't know. Um, something has to change, and something has to change quick. So yeah, it's it's panic stations at Everton now, definitely. Um, Duncan Ferguson might have to wait Joel because Everton have had a strange but could be a brilliant offer from someone to come in and sort it out Molly McCann also known as Meatball Molly the UFC fighter who's a massive Everton fan has offered to pop in to Finch Farm she says for a chat this week or next week when they get back for the international break given the fact that Lampard is, is pretending to be this hard man do you think bringing in Meatball Molly could just reinforce that message? Yeah, I mean, meatball Molly and then put her alongside Duncan Ferguson. It's like The Undertaker and Kane, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> the return of the Death Brothers kind of thing. So, I mean, <laughs> it might help a little bit, but I don't know, plays these days might not take to those kind of antics to get them fired up. But um, yeah, judging from her performance at the weekend, I mean, I think you want players conscious rather than unconscious. So uh, let's see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, Lampard's in a desperate situation right now and he's trying to resolve to challenging them I think mentally um, but some players don't react to that especially if he's a new manager and he's not really earned his respect yet it, it goes two ways I think you can either really split them or you can really galvanise them so it's a slippery slope I mean when he, he probably looks at the table and thinks right we've got eight games to go why the hell not um, so yeah let's see how it goes but I mean right now it's not looking good yeah. for him well something's got to change for Everton between now and the end of the season whether it's Meatball Molly Duncan Ferguson Frank Lampard or Amanda Holden just reading through Everton celebrity fans there. she's the first one to pop up maybe Amanda Holden will offer to pop in and have a, have a chat with, with Seamus Coleman and Michael Keane because something needs to happen for Everton if they want to stay in the Premier League just quickly looking at their run after 
after the international break it is massive West Ham away from home Burnley away from home and then Manchester United at Goodison as Everton look to turn it around right we're going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily after the break we are talking FA Cup travel plans to Wembley it's never easy to get to Wembley any fan will tell you that but for Liverpool and Manchester City fans things have been made just that little bit harder we're going to be talking about all of that in just a second Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. As always, here at FSD, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new show every single day. Right the way between now and the end of the season, we are with you every step of the way. Right, we're flicking across from Premier League to FA Cup news in part two. Marley, Chelsea fans have been given an unusual bit of positive news ahead of their semi-final against Crystal Palace later this month. We all know that there was a little pocket of fans that did manage to make the trip to the Riverside to watch them beat Middlesbrough at the weekend. But by and large, based on the sanctions and the licence that Chelsea Football Club are operating under uh, in the recent weeks, they can't sell new tickets to fans for home games or for away games. But according to a statement from Chelsea yesterday, they are working on amendments to the licence to, to relax things and ease certain aspects of the licence before the end of the season to allow them to kickstart their cash flow. So they are expected to have a full allocation for Wembley for the semi-final. Aside from the issues going on behind the scenes at Chelsea, the ownership, the buyout, etc., this is a big win for the fans. They couldn't, generally speaking, go to Middlesbrough at the weekend. Now, short trip down the road to Wembley to watch them take on Crystal Palace for a place in the FA Cup final. This is a big positive for them. Yeah, it is. Um, I think there was always going to be some wiggle room at some point in these um, in these sanctions, um, and it makes more sense as well. Probably, you know, if you're going to have Chelsea fans, you know, at any game this season, you're probably going to stick it. At, you're going to make it the game at Wembley where they can all get to fairly fairly easily and on quick short notice as well. Um, and it's the game that could get them to the uh, to the FA Cup final, you know. So um, I'm not really surprised by that, um, just because it it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, the, especially with what's happening with the Man City Liverpool game, when there there could be a you know travel issues and and stuff like that with with their fans, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute. But yeah, it's um, it's it was always gonna something was always gonna change. I think the the sanctions only last till May the 31st, anyway. Um, and I think with uh, with this, you know, I'm, some people would say, oh, you know, Chelsea should be punished because of Abramovich, and yeah, rightly so. But you know, what what do you really gain from from this? Um, 
to you know banning banning supporters from going to I mean they probably go to Wembley anyway they just stand outside wouldn't they like it's that close they just get on the the tube and they'd probably just go and stand at Wembley um, and taking the atmosphere and drinking the pubs anyway so they're going to be there anyway um, so you know could you not just let them in um, and I think with with Wembley as well being a split um, you know a split between the the clubs you you probably get Chelsea fans in the Crystal Palace end you probably get mm. you could probably get you know somebody from um the same family if you're a family of Chelsea fans you probably know Crystal Palace fans who can get you a ticket and you probably end up in the thing so maybe they've tried to to forego this this situation where there's away fans mingling in home ends and then you get more trouble so it could be something like that but yeah I'm not really surprised it's uh, it's relaxed the sanctions a little bit the situation for the other semi-final couldn't really be more different in terms of fans being denied access or certainly access made more difficult, Joel. As it stands, Manchester City and Liverpool both due to travel down that weekend. Their game's on the 16th of April, but between the 15th and the 18th of April, there's no direct trains from either Manchester or Liverpool travelling into London. They're stopping at either Milton Keynes or Rugby. Now, I've got to say as a little caveat, if you're listening to this show outside of the UK, Milton Keynes and Rugby are the middle of nowhere if you're having to walk or get a bus or get a taxi or get whatever from any of these places it's likely to take you about three days so there's effectively no public transport routes from either Liverpool or Manchester going into London that weekend the FA's trotted out their usual line that they're liaising with clubs and, and network rail and the bus services to try and kind of come to a solution there's no way the FA Cup uh, sorry the FA are going to do a big U-turn on this they've demonstrated time and again they're not particularly bothered about match going fans and also they can't tear up a massive national infrastructure project just because they want to get supporters into Wembley to watch the game and fan groups on both sides Liverpool and City have objected and it's re- revived this old row that semi-finals shouldn't be held at Wembley you think back to the late 90s the early noughties Old Trafford Villa Park Elland Road they were perfectly acceptable, perfectly good. Given the fact that this is two North and Northwest teams, this makes no sense. Yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, Wembley has to be paid off somehow, doesn't it? And they don't predict that it will be until 2024. So, of course, they're going to be uh, keeping the semi-finals there. But, I mean, in terms of the fans, like, I don't think these organisations have ever had the fans as the first priority ever. Um, even you just look at I know it's a different organisation but you look at the Premier League when you have fixtures on a Friday night and you expect supporters from you know the other end of the country to be able to get down to the south of England there's been so many occasions and even during the lockdown where they tried to charge fans £15 per game to watch it on Sky Sports I mean these are just a tiny drop in the ocean of how much they just do not consider fans and it happens everywhere not even just in England but like UEFA when it comes to the Champions League um, where they have no consideration to fans having to move all across Europe to get to different games forgetting and you know the, the Covid situation I hope allowed them to see that football really does not run with fans and the football does get affected without fans in the stadiums um, but yeah I would be surprised if they even move this I think the best case would be you know to try and get some kind of coach system on or something that can actually allow fans ease of access because far too often they've proven that fans are just the second priority and the first priority will always be the corporate and making as much money out of an occasion as they can it's something that definitely needs to be resolved because the fans make these kind of fixtures 
especially ones at Wembley but yeah and as for um, having semi-finals at neutral venues I mean I can see both sides to it because if you think about it with the smaller clubs having having the final exclusively at Wembley probably means that they may never get to see their side or go to Wembley to see their side at least if it's in the semi-finals and the Wembley is at both semi-finals then at least you have obviously more chance of potentially being able to make it like for example um, I know Crystal Palace have been to the final a couple of times before but um, you know their fans get more of a chance to be able to go to Wembley now because it's a semi-final or when you see I'm trying to think of size like Stoke City what no they got to the final but you know these kind of sides where they're not guaranteed to go all the way to the final typically it is the bigger sides who meet in the final so having a semi-final at Wembley obviously gives that alternative but I mean in my opinion it kind of dilutes the the specialness of Wembley and having that one big occasion at Wembley but like I said the FA have got to pay off Wembley somehow and they're definitely not gonna sacrifice earning you know these match day um admissions and what it brings to their own organization so it'll never happen but i i do miss having you know the the semi-finals at different grounds where it's a bit more accessible for people brings different atmospheres you know at villa park or even at old trafford or anywhere literally anywhere i think it brings a great atmosphere but like i say i can see the i can see the benefits for having it as, as a semi-final in terms of accessibility as well for for teams um, who are a little bit smaller who can't guarantee to get to the final yeah i think we're all cynical enough to not expect any sort of major change from the FA particularly this season so Man City and Liverpool fans it's probably going to be a long haul down to London but if you are heading there make sure you check the train timetables before you leave or in this example don't because there are no trains right we're going to grab a quick bake we're not going to be talking about trains after the break we're going to be talking about transfers not trains transfers Edinson Cavani is potentially leaving Manchester United this summer he could be replaced by Paolo Dybala we're going to be getting Joel's thoughts on that and then continuing the Manchester United Newcastle link Dean Henderson has been linked with St James's Park we're going to talk to Marley about Newcastle's new number one in 2022 we'll be back in just a sec Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to Tuesday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Now, the summer might be a long way off and it is the international break, but the transfer rumour mill is still spinning. And we're going to check out a couple of rumours that have been floating around in the last 48 hours. And Marley, Joel, you'll be delighted to know that it involves both of your clubs. So there's a nice running theme to uh, to get through this transfer news. So we're going to start with Manchester United, Joel and Edinson Cavani. Talk from the Daily Mail this morning that Inter Milan wants to bring him to the San Siro ironically again Manchester United link to replace Alexis Sanchez who could be leaving at the end of the campaign he is out of contract this summer the chances of a renewal look to be dead and buried it's it's an odd situation for Cavani because at the back end of last season 10 Premier League goals he appeared to be the archetypal experienced grizzled veteran striker that the likes of Rashford and Sancho and Anthony Alanga and other young United players could learn from and build off. And then in August, Manchester United went out and bought another massively experienced goal-scoring powerhouse in Cristiano Ronaldo. So 
it was never going to work. Cavani and Ronaldo in the same squad and in the same team. And Cavani's barely played this season. He spent more time out of the country than he has training with Manchester United and certainly playing with Manchester United. I don't think he necessarily overstayed his welcome, but should there have been a call made by United when the Ronaldo deal was done to maybe move Cavani on or maybe even move him on in January? Because at the moment, he's just there, not playing and picking up a massive wage. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that now because obviously he's barely played. But when you think back to last season, he was one of our players of the season by an absolute mile. Um, He became a little bit of a cult hero who was like what we thought Falcao would have been in terms of getting the goals and, you know, being that kind of big player who comes to Manchester and actually starts to, you know, play according to his name and his reputation. But this season, I feel like he's just told everything that happened in that first season that he did. He's just completely been undone this season. He's basically been on a part-time contract and been in Uruguay, like you say, more than he's been in Manchester. I mean, I think he's just been called up to the Uruguay squad and he's been injured for the last month, like in bits and drips and drabs coming back into the side. I mean, it, of course, now in hindsight, you would say, yeah, it was a mistake, but he, he, he put in some top performances last season and got some such important goals. Um, and I thought that it would have worked a little bit with Ronaldo because obviously, both players can't play every single game but this season his injuries have just absolutely hampered him um, where he seems to be picking and choosing when he plays and I bet if, if Jose Marino would have managed to play like that he would have been out the door tomorrow because we know how he was with players kind of not you know strengthening up and ignoring the injuries and just playing but I mean he's 35 now his body's definitely not keeping up with his mind Um I wish we would have got him 10 years ago at like 25 because he is like a Manchester United player completely in terms of what you want from a striker. Uh, but yeah, typical with this club, we seem to get players after they've basically come over the hedge um, and not give these best years at the club. So yeah, I think it's pretty much guaranteed that he's going to be leaving in the summer. And to be honest, no one's going to be really unhappy with it considering the fact that he's not really contributed anything this season. Um, and he's probably on a massive salary as well. So yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's just a case of the age has caught up with him finally, I think. And he seems to be prioritizing, making sure he gets into that Uruguay squad more than actually being available for United, which I don't think will ever cut it at the club. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a sad situation, but I mean, it was always going to be expected, um, especially since he just signed a one-year contract as well. Someone that United could possibly look to bring in to replace the Cavani hole in the team is Paolo Dybala. Juventus have essentially confirmed that he is leaving on a free transfer this summer. Contract extension talks have broken down. He was offered a reduced deal. He said no his time's up in Turin now there's going to be a bit of a scatter of clubs looking to maybe put an offer across and maybe even bring him in this summer I can't really call this Joel so I'm interested to get a United fans perspective on this because on the face of it he's 28 he should be or is hitting his peak years but I also kind of I'm wary around these situations because why is he leaving Juventus? Why are PSG, Man City, Real Madrid not looking at him? Is there a reason why he's leaving Juventus other than the contract talks breaking down? I think this is an absolute move that United could find themselves making. But given all those reasons, maybe should they avoid it? 
in my opinion, well, first of all, I absolutely love Dybala. He's one of my favourite players in terms of like the way he plays. And um, even when he was at Palermo, I think it was what, like six, seven years ago, I was dying for us to make a bid for him. Um, and Juventus managed to just sneak in at the in the bay. Well, I mean, if Juventus coming for you as an Italian club, you're always going to go. But yeah, when uh, this situation's a strange one, from looking at the reports of what's happened, it seems as though they made a contract offer for him, which was done months ago, and then it changed. Um, and now they're at a kind of stalemate where nobody wants to shift what they're offering and what they want. Um, but then when you go back to, I think it was 2019, I think United were reported to be interested in him, but his agent was just not listening to the offers at all. I think Tottenham as well were a team involved in uh, trying to bring him in, but I've never been a fan of going back for players who had the opportunity to come and then they ended up rejecting it. I just feel like if you have an opportunity to come to a club like United and you reject it, I don't think there should be a second chance to do that. Um and in this situation, I don't even think he would fit, to be honest, because his position's a little bit more of like a, he's like a centre forward slash number 10, where he fits in just behind the striker or, you know, like a right forward kind of position. And the way in which we're looking to play at the moment, like let's say we do get Pochettino or Ten Hag, it will probably be some kind of 4-3-3, uh, where it's like a flat three system and, Bruno Fernandes is probably our most advanced midfielder and I don't see him being kind of replaced for essentially pretty much a number 10-ish kind of player who plays a little bit further forward. It feels like the number 10 role has kind of gone extinct a little bit in football, which is quite sad because some of my favourite players of all time have been that kind of player, where it's been like a number 10 and floats around in the middle, you know, the kind of like Mesut Ozil type ones when he was at Madrid or Iniesta. Um so yeah I just don't think he fits the club and I don't think we should go back in for him either I just don't think he fits the plans and I don't think we can even make a move for someone if we don't even have a manager in place so right now I think he would suit Tottenham uh, obviously Paratici and Conte's connections probably will favour them in that situation um, but yeah I, I just don't think he fits even though as good a player he is I think United need to learn the lessons from these players who are basically choosing us rather than us choosing them um, which I think is a big difference um, the situation at Newcastle is maybe not quite as showbiz in terms of the targets that they're going for this summer Dean Henderson is still sitting on the bench at Manchester United Marley so according to Fabrizio Romano transfer expert on Twitter Newcastle are interested in bringing him in Martin Dubravka has been a long solid servant for Newcastle but Eddie Howe wants to move forward he wants to drive Newcastle up the table and Dean Henderson when he was at Sheffield United and the, the bits and pieces that he's been allowed to showcase at Manchester United has shown that he is a very very good goalkeeper he's under contract at United until 2025 so it's likely to be about 30 million to prize him away and bring him to St James's all the talk of Mbappe and Haaland is, is going to have to wait. Newcastle need to build a Premier League team first and then build themselves into a superpower. Would this be a move that you'd be happy with? You look at the January moves, the likes of Byrne and Ward and Trippier. Would this be another step on the road to pushing Newcastle higher up the table? Yeah, probably. Um, I've, I've long sort of looked at Dean Henderson and said... You know he needs a home. He needs he needs first team football, um, and he needs to escape Man United and get out and, and prove how good he is. Because he was doing that at Sheffield United. Um, he lost the battle with De Gea to be uh, to be number one at, at Man United. He did, he had a fair crack of the whip, I think. In fairness, under under Solskjaer, he had enough chances. Um, wasn't as good as De Gea was, so you know he can't really have too many complaints at that. And I think that 
has has put it into his head that okay, maybe I do need a new um, a, a new challenge. Um, and if you look at Newcastle, like Dubravka's a really good goalkeeper. Um, I do really really like Martin Dubravka, but he is 32, 33 now. Um, so he's getting he's getting on a bit. Um, in terms of goalkeeper years, I know they can go to 37, 38, but they're never as good as they were when they're in their early 30s. Um, and it, if the opportunity arises, you know, Dean Henderson could be Newcastle goalkeeper for the next eight or 10 years, potentially. So when when you look at that longevity, I think that that's what is the driving factor behind, um, you know, making the changes as your club's number one, because um, Henderson needs the move. We probably need the uh, the future um, sort of um, guarantee that there's going to be someone there. He's English as well, which is great. Um, he's from up there. He's from he's from White Evan, actually. He's from the same place as I am. So he's uh, he he was born up there. Um, so there's, he's probably got family over towards the Newcastle area as well. If they're depending on whereabouts in Cumbria they live, if if they still do, um, I think he'd fit he'd fit straight in. Um, you know, English manager, English player potential England call up ahead of the World Cup in, in Qatar as well he'd still, still fancy being in that race with Pope, Ramsdale, Pickford um, and Johnston and, and, and you know p- people like that he's probably got uh, eyes on being in that squad in December so there's plenty of um, of positives to the move and even though 30 million's a bit steep you know look at Aaron Ramsdale 30 million for him was was laughed at by everyone me included um, and uh, but if you get a goalkeeper for the next you know six years minimum 30 million's not that much really um, I just want to ask you quickly before we wrap up because we are in the middle of the international break some of the big friendlies don't roll around until Friday or the weekend and the playoffs are later on this week so the big games from last night in terms of international action Papua New Guinea 1 New Caledonia nil, but Mali New Zealand 4 yeah. Fiji nil. Chris Ward getting himself 2 goals given the fact that Oceania is going to be a bit of an extended uh, qualification process for the World Cup they've got to jump through a few more hoops than most other teams looking at the picture now if they top their group they'll play Tahiti in an Oceana playoff and then they'll play Panama in June in an intercontinental playoff are you back in Wood and his boys to get to Qatar? Well Tahiti could be a, a tough challenge they play a, a, a rarely seen 3-7-2 formation <laughs> It's definitely rarely seen yeah for sure Yeah they always they, they try and stick an extra man on just to uh, to help him out a bit but um, yeah it's a uh, Look, he became a Chris Wood became all-time top scorer for New Zealand uh, yesterday as well. So, yeah, if the more Newcastle players that World Cup, the uh, the better. So, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on, indeed. Newcastle making a pitch for Qatar. There is obviously plenty of international action coming up later this week, and the guys will be covering that in all of the podcasts between now and the weekend. Marley, Joel, as always on Football Social Daily. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Thank guys. You. Great stuff indeed. Don't forget, as always, hit subscribe up the top there and you can get access to a brand new show every single day of the week through the international break and back into the return of Premier League action. We are with you every single day. So thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.